Commentary in the Gospel of Luke, Sermons 27-38. through 38. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Sermons 27 and 29. Commentary on the Gospel of Luke, Sermons 27-38, through 38, by Cyril of Alexandria. Translated by R. Payne Smith. From Sermon 27, Explanation of What Follows 6.20 Blessed are ye poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Those are the Saviour's words when directing his disciples into the newness of the gospel life after their appointment to the apostolate. But we must see of what poor it is that he speaks such great things. For in the Gospel according to Matthew it is written, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Wishing us to understand by the poor in spirit the man who entertains lowly thoughts of himself, and whose mind, so to speak, is closely reefed, and his heart gentle, and ready to yield, and entirely free from the guilt of pride. Such a one is worthy of admiration, and the friend of God. Yea, he even said by one of the holy prophets, Upon whom will I look but upon the humble and peaceable, and that trembleth at my words? And the prophet David also said, That a contrite and humbled heart God will not set at naught. Moreover, the Saviour himself also says, Learn of me, for I am meek and humble in heart. In the lessons, however, now set before us, he says, that the poor shall be blessed, without the addition of its being in spirit. But the evangelists, so speak, not as contradicting one another, but as dividing oftentimes the narrative among them, and at one time they recapitulate the same particulars, and at another that which has been omitted by one, another includes in his narrative that nothing essential for their benefit may be hidden from those who believe on Christ. It seems likely, therefore, that he here means by the poor, whom he pronounces blessed, such as care not for wealth, and are superior to covetousness, and despisers of base gifts and of a disposition free from the love of money, and to set no value upon the ostentatious display of riches. And so the most wise Paul manifestly guides us into the best doctrines, where he says, Let your disposition be free from the love of money, being contented with what it has. And to this he has added, that, having nourishment and the means of shelter, we will be therewith content. For it was necessary, absolutely necessary, for those whose business it would be to proclaim the saving message of the gospel, to have a mind careless about wealth, and occupied solely with the desire of better things. The argument, however, does not affect all whose means are abundant, but those only whose desire is set upon riches. And who are these? All to whom our Saviour's words apply. Store not up for yourselves treasures upon the earth.
621. Blessed are ye that hunger now, for ye shall be filled. In Matthew, however, again he says, Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. But here he simply says that those that hunger shall be filled. We say, therefore, that it is a great and noble thing to hunger and thirst after righteousness, that is, habitually to take part in earnest endeavors after piety, for such is the meaning of righteousness, as if it were our meat and drink. And inasmuch as we ought to give to this passage also a meaning, in accordance with the foregoing explanations, we say again as follows. The Saviour pronounced those blessed who love a voluntary poverty, to enable them honorably and without distraction to practice the apostolic course of life. For it is in plain keeping with the having neither gold nor silver in their purses, nor two coats, to endure also very great hardness in their way of life, and scarcely obtain food for their need. But this is a burdensome thing for those who are suffering poverty and persecutions, and therefore he that knoweth hearts very suitably does not permit us to be dispirited because of the results of poverty. For he says that those who hunger now for their piety's sake towards him shall be filled, that is, they shall enjoy the intellectual and spiritual blessings that are in store. 6.21. Blessed are ye that weep now, for ye shall laugh. He pronounces them that weep, blessed, and says that they shall laugh. But by those who weep, we say that those are not men to simply shed tears from their eyes. For this is a thing common to all without exception, whether believers or unbelievers, if aught happen of a painful nature but those rather who shun a life of merriment and vanity and carnal pleasures. For of the one we say that they live in enjoyment and laughter, whereas believers abandoning luxury and the careless life of carnal pleasures, and all but weeping because of their abhorrence of worldly things, are, our Saviour declares, blessed and for this reason, as having commanded us to choose poverty, he also crowns with honors the things which necessarily accompany poverty, such, for instance, as the want of things necessary for enjoyment, and the lowness of spirits caused by privation, for it is written that many are the privations of the just, and the Lord shall deliver them out of them all. 6.22. Blessed are ye when men shall hate you. Already did the Lord mention persecution, even before the apostles had been sent on their mission. The gospel anticipated what would happen. For it was altogether to be expected that those who proclaimed the gospel message, and made the Jews abandon their legal mode of worship to learn the gospel way of virtuous living, while too they won over idolaters to the acknowledgment of the truth, would come in contact with many impious and unholy men. For such are they who, in their enmity against piety, 
excite wars and persecutions against those who preach Jesus. To prevent them, therefore, from falling into unreasonable distress whenever the time should arrive at which such events were sure to befall them from some quarter or other, he forewarns them for their benefit, that even the assault of things grievous to bear will bring its reward and advantage to them. For they shall reproach you, he says, as deceivers, and as trying to mislead. They shall separate you from them, even from their friendship and society. But let none of these things trouble you, he says, for what harm will their intemperate tongue do a well-established mind? For the patient suffering of these things will not be without fruit, he says, to those who know how to endure piously, but is the pledge of highest happiness. And besides, he points out to them for their benefit that nothing strange will happen unto them, even when suffering these things, but that, on the contrary, they will resemble those who before their time were the bearers to the Israelites of the words that came from God above. They were persecuted, they were sawn asunder, they perished slain by the sword, they endured reproaches unjustly cast upon them. He would, therefore, have them also understand that they shall be partakers with those whose deeds they have imitated. Nor shall they fail in winning the prophet's crown after having travelled by the same road. Sermon 29 From the Footnotes the principal Syriac manuscript commences here, but the first leaf is in part illegible, and the three following sermons are entirely lost. From the reader, where words are missing, text missing is said. 6.24 Text missing Receive those things that will lead you unto life eternal. For it is written that man doth not live by bread alone, but by every word that goeth forth from the mouth of God. All scripture indeed is inspired of God, but this is especially true of the proclamations in the Gospels. For he who in old time delivered unto the Israelites by the ministry of Moses the law that consisted in types and shadows, the very same having become man spake unto us, as the wise Paul testifies, writing, God who in diverse manners spake in old time to the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. And we are taught of God. For Christ is in truth God and the Son of God. Let us therefore fix our careful attention upon what he says, and scrupulously examine the very depth of his meaning. For woe, he says, unto you rich, in that ye have received your consolation. Very fitly is this added to his previous discourse, for having already shown that poverty for God's sake is the mother of every blessing, and said that the hungering and weeping of the saints would not be without a reward, he proceeds to speak of the opposite class of things, and says of them that they are productive of grief and condemnation. 
for he blames indeed the rich and those who indulge immoderately in pleasures and are ever in merriment in order that he may leave no means untried of benefiting those who draw near unto him and chief of all the holy apostles for if the endurance of poverty for god's sake together with hunger and tears by which is meant the being exposed to pain and afflictions in the cause of piety be profitable before god and he pronounce a threefold blessedness on those who embrace them as a necessary consequence those are liable to the utmost blame who have prized the vices that are the opposite of these virtues in order therefore that men may be won by the desire of the crowns of reward unto willingness to labor and a voluntary poverty for god's sake and on the other hand by fear of the threatened punishment may flee from riches and from living in luxury and merriment that is to say in worldly amusements he says that the one are heirs of the kingdom of heaven but that the others will be involved in the utmost misery for ye have received he says your consolation and this truth we are permitted to behold beautifully delineated in the gospel parables like as in a painting for we have heard read that there was a rich man decked in purple and fine linen at whose gate lazarus was cast racked with poverty and pain and the rich man felt no pity for him but lazarus it says was carried to abraham's bosom while he was in torments and in flame and when he saw lazarus at rest and in happiness in abraham's bosom he besought saying father abraham have mercy on me and send lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for i am tormented in this flame but what was blessed abraham's reply son thou hast received thy good things in thy life and lazarus evil things but now he is here in happiness and thou art tormented true therefore is what is here said by christ of those who live in wealth and luxury and merriment that ye have received your consolation and of those who now are full that they shall hunger and that those who laugh now shall weep and lament but come and let us examine the matter among ourselves our saviour in his parables has thus spoken two men went up unto the temple to pray the one a pharisee and the other a publican and the pharisee forsooth prayed saying god i thank thee that i am not as the rest of mankind extortioners unjust adulterers or like this publican i fast twice in the week and i pay tithes of all that i possess but the publican he says did not venture to lift up his eyes unto heaven but stood smiting his breast and saying god be merciful to me a sinner verily i say unto you that this man went down to his house justified rather than the other for the proud pharisee was boasting over the publican and indecently assuming the rank of a lawgiver would have condemned one 
on whom it was rather his duty to have shown pity. But the other was the accuser of his own infirmity, and thereby aided in his own justification. For it is written, Declare thou thy sins first, that thou mayest be justified. Let us therefore unloose, that is, set free, those who are suffering sicknesses from having been condemned by us, in order that God may also unloose us from our faults. For he condemneth not, but rather showeth mercy. Closely neighboring, so to speak, upon the virtues which we have just mentioned is compassion, of which he next makes mention. For it is a most excelling thing, and very pleasing to God, and in the highest degree becoming to pious souls, and concerning which it may suffice for us to imprint upon our mind that it is an attribute of the divine nature. For be ye, he says, merciful, as also your heavenly Father is merciful but that we shall be recompensed with bountiful hand by God, who giveth all things abundantly to them that love him. He has given us full assurance by saying that, Good measure and squeezed down, and running over shall they give into your bosom. Adding this too, For with what measure ye meet it shall be measured to you. There is, however, an apparent incompatibility between the two declarations. For if we are to receive good measure and squeeze down and running over, how shall we be paid back the same measure wherewith we meet? For this implies an equal recompense, and not one of far surpassing abundance. What say we then? The all-wise Paul frees us from our difficulties by bringing us the solution of the matters in question. For he says that he that soweth sparingly, meaning thereby, that he who distributeth the necessities of life to those who are in penury and affliction moderately, and, so to speak, with contracted hand, and not plentifully and largely, shall also reap sparingly and he that soweth in blessings, in blessings shall also reap. By which is meant, he who bountifully, text missing. So that if any one hath not, he has not sinned by not giving it. For a man is acceptable according to that which he hath, and not according to that which he hath not. And this the law of the very wise Moses has taught us in type. For those that were under the law brought sacrifices to God according to what they severally possessed, and were able to afford, some, for instance, bullocks, and some rams, or sheep, or doves, or pigeons, or meal mingled with oil. But even he who offered this, text missing, because he had no calf to offer, though so little, and to be procured so cheaply, was equal to the other as regards his intention. End of Sermon 29